Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we are diving into The Obesity Code by Jason Fung, a renowned kidney specialist and head of the Intensive Dietary Management Program at Scarborough Hospital in Ontario, Canada. The Obesity Code, published in 2016, is a pivotal book that addresses the alarming global increase of obesity by questioning and challenging our understanding of it. Fung argues that the root cause of obesity isn't solely dietary fats, as commonly misunderstood, but the real culprit is insulin resistance. This illuminating book is particularly beneficial for those looking to shed weight and gain insight into the obesity crisis. Doctors, nutritionists, and food producers will find this book remarkably enlightening as it dispels many deep-rooted myths about diet and obesity. Even as a consumer, Your understanding of food will transform as Fung takes you on a journey to understand the nuances of obesity and its roots. So, if you are curious to untangle the complexity of the obesity epidemic, or simply wish to understand its underlying causes, this episode is for you. Dive into the true reasons behind obesity and learn about effective ways to combat it with the Obesity Code. The Obesity Code, Unlocking the Secrets of Weight Loss. Introduction, Unmasking the Real Villain in the Obesity Crisis. You've probably heard this a million times. Obesity is caused by an excessive intake of calories. This well-known belief, what author Jason Fung terms the caloric obsession, is just one of many deeply rooted misconceptions. These inaccuracies are not only based on flawed scientific reasoning, but they also have played a crucial role in misleading diet practices and the overall misunderstanding of the true culprits behind obesity. Today, we're about to dismantle these old warped tales and cut to the core of the problem. Drawing from recent medical studies, we'll learn that fats, contrary to popular belief, are a vital component of a balanced diet. The real instigator behind obesity? the unbridled consumption of refined sugar and carbohydrates. The explanation to this lies within a hormone that governs numerous processes within our bodies, insulin, and that's what we'll be delving into. Understanding the science behind it paves the way for us to take measured steps towards maintaining our health and steering clear of obesity. Stay tuned as we delve into what the latest research says in the ever-continuing nature versus nurture debate, why it's wise to abstain from snacking and embrace fasting in between meals instead, and the factors making the less affluent more susceptible to obesity. Part 1. Dissecting the Role of Genetics and Social Environment in Obesity The long-standing debate about the driving factors behind obesity often teeters between genetic predisposition and lifestyle choices. But what if the commonly accepted understanding that one's social environment is a primary catalyst of obesity is fundamentally flawed? Enter the world of studies exploring the impact of environmental factors on developing children. To unveil the significance of these factors, one can look at the case of adopted children and their respective families. This is precisely the approach taken by Albert J. Stunkard, whose research on adopted children in Denmark was brought to light in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1986. 
Denmark was an ideal setting due to its meticulous adoption records, enabling Stunkard to draw comparisons between adoptive and biological parents. Here's the surprising finding. Stunkard established that there was no connection between the weight of the adopted children and their adoptive parents. This revelation suggested that environmental factors held little sway in determining whether a child would develop obesity. This defied the widespread belief that the social environment was a key player in obesity. The contention that early exposure to junk food could lead to weight gain was effectively debunked. So, if not environment, what then? Stunkard's research pointed towards genetics. Upon comparing the adopted children to their biological parents, he discovered a potent correlation. Children born to obese parents were far more likely to become obese themselves, even if they were raised in a family with generally lean members. To add a numerical dimension to his findings, Stunkard's 1991 follow-up study suggested that genetics contribute to about 70% of a person's propensity to become obese. Part 2. Unraveling the complex dynamics of calorie consumption and obesity. There's a popular belief that our weight is a mere reflection of our diet. Eat less, weigh less. This logic seems entirely plausible, doesn't it? However, this notion doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And the reality is that there's no direct correlation between calorie consumption and obesity. The belief that consuming more calories equates to higher obesity rates largely comes from correlational observations. A report by Drs. J.D. Wright and J. Kennedy in the Mortality and Morbidity Report from 2004 noted an average increase of 250 calories consumed per person per day between 1971 and 2000 in the United States. However, this wasn't the driving force behind the escalating obesity rates. The idea of this correlation was effectively debunked by a 2014 study authored by Uladebaum and published in the American Journal of Medicine. The data revealed that while the average caloric intake remained consistent between 1990 and 2010, obesity rates still increased by 0.37% each year. So, what's the truth? Simply slashing your calorie intake isn't an effective ticket to weight loss. Our body weight isn't just influenced by the calories we ingest, but also by the number of calories we expend. In short, calorie output plays a crucial role. This then leads us to another flawed belief, that all consumed calories are automatically converted into fat. This notion isn't validated by evidence. The reality is that our bodies put calories to an array of uses, from generating heat and producing proteins, bones, and muscle tissue, to powering our brains and increasing our heart rate. Fat production is just one way our bodies utilize calories. So, obesity isn't merely about eating too much. Instead, it's a challenge related to energy usage. Different bodies may direct calories towards building larger bones and muscles, or enhancing mental focus, while others convert them to fat. The crucial point here is that only the conversion of calories into fat is seen as a societal issue. Part 3. The Paradox of Calorie Reduction Lower intake leads to reduced energy expenditure and slowed metabolism. Imagine drastically cutting back on your calorie intake while maintaining the same level of energy expenditure. What could possibly happen? Believe it or not, the body would react in a way to avoid self-destruction. 
reducing its energy output in parallel to the lowered intake. Our understanding of this phenomenon stems from early studies, like the one conducted in 1919 at the Carnegie Institute in Washington, D.C. In this experiment, participants were placed on a restricted diet, consuming between 1,400 and 2,100 calories daily, a notable 30% reduction from their typical diet. Researchers were curious to see how this radical alteration would impact their bodily functions. The outcome was interesting. Participants' energy expenditure plummeted by approximately 30%, dropping from 3,000 to 1,960 calories per day. Rather than leading to significant weight loss, the new diet merely resulted in a decreased energy output. One strategy bodies employ to curtail energy output is reducing metabolic rates, which can subsequently trigger negative effects on various bodily functions. Ansel Keys, a doctor from Minnesota, demonstrated this in his study in 1945. Interested in the issue of starvation, believed to be a looming concern in the post-war era, Keyes drastically lowered his subject's caloric intake. Contrary to his anticipation of weight loss, Keyes' subjects consistently complained about feeling cold. The reason? Their metabolic rate, responsible for regulating body temperature among other functions, had dipped by a startling 40%. Consequently, their heart rate also fell dramatically, from an average of 54 beats per minute to a mere 34. Brain activity was noticeably impaired, leading to increased lethargy and compromised concentration. These findings highlight that reducing calorie intake isn't the silver bullet to weight loss. Rather than vilifying calorie intake, it's essential to pinpoint the true troublemakers. Stay tuned as we uncover the real culprits in the following segment. Part 4. The Hidden Villain. How Elevated Insulin Levels Contribute to Obesity. Gaining weight is surprisingly simple, and contrary to popular opinion, the quickest route to adding pounds doesn't involve devouring mountains of food. The secret lies in a hormone that our bodies naturally produce, insulin. It turns out that injecting extra insulin into the body can lead to rapid weight gain. Indeed, elevated levels of insulin and related hormonal imbalances are the primary culprits behind obesity. Elsie Kong demonstrated this connection in a 2013 study, concluding that around 75% of all successful weight loss efforts were directly associated with reduced insulin levels. Kong's research further revealed that drugs that increase insulin levels led to weight gain while those that decrease insulin levels resulted in weight loss. The critical factor to note here is that our bodies aren't entirely under our conscious control. So who, or rather what, is really at the helm? The answer lies in hormones, the chemical messengers in our bodies that regulate how we feel. For instance, the hormone ghrelin sparks feelings of hunger, while leptin signals when we've had enough to eat. Once insulin levels in the body exceed a certain threshold, our hormonal balance gets disturbed, triggering behaviors like overeating. However, the precise mechanism through which high insulin levels contribute to obesity remains somewhat elusive. Robert Lustig, a renowned endocrinologist and obesity specialist from California, proposed in 2004 that insulin might interfere with the normal function of leptin. 
According to Lustig's theory, leptin levels rise after a meal, signaling the brain that we've eaten enough. The same increase happens when body fat levels rise, suppressing appetite and encouraging weight loss. Yet, in obese patients, leptin levels often decrease after meals, causing the feeling of satiety or fullness to bypass them. Consequently, they continue eating, even as their body fat levels increase and their leptin levels remain low. Lustig's hypothesis provides a potentially insightful explanation of the relationship between insulin and obesity. However, it remains unverified due to a lack of conclusive experimental evidence. Part 5. The Snacking Trap How Eating Between Meals Heightens Insulin Levels and Prompts Insulin Resistance Oprah Winfrey's well-documented struggle with weight loss serves as a poignant example of the many challenges associated with dieting. Despite shedding over 60 pounds in 1988, she soon began to regain the weight, entering a seemingly endless cycle of weight loss and regain. But what exactly makes dieting so tough? The culprit, as it turns out, is often heightened insulin levels which can eventually lead to insulin resistance. But before we delve into that, let's gain a better understanding of insulin itself. At its core, insulin is a hormone that transfers sugar from your bloodstream into your body's cells, regulating your blood sugar levels. The consumption of carbohydrates and sugars prompts the body to generate additional insulin to manage these influxes. However, excessive intake of such foods can disrupt this delicate process. Over time, this disruption can cause cells to become insulin-resistant, a state where cells stop responding to insulin and fail to absorb sugar molecules from the blood. This resistance makes weight loss significantly more challenging for affected individuals. Their cells receive only a fraction of consumed sugars and persistently demand more sustenance, leading to weight gain. This never-ending hunger makes even successful diets difficult to maintain as people ultimately yield to their body's insatiable appetite. One of the primary culprits behind elevated insulin levels is the habit of snacking between meals. Every bite-sized snack triggers a surge in insulin production. Consistent grazing between mealtimes means that your body is always churning out moderate to high insulin levels. The downside, ideally your body should experience regular intervals of low insulin levels. Achieving this balance requires fasting for roughly four to five hours after a meal, providing your body with an opportunity to lower the insulin surge before your next meal. Part 6. Unraveling the Ties The Link Between Obesity, Poverty, and Agricultural Subsidies In past eras, society's poorest citizens were often thin, mainly due to malnourishment, drawing sympathy from their contemporaries. As societal perceptions evolved, thinness became a desired quality, while obesity morphed into an emblem of poverty rather than affluence. This isn't merely symbolism. In today's society, there's a pronounced correlation between obesity and poverty. Consider the Pima, a Native American tribe predominantly found in southwestern American states like Arizona. These communities, largely impoverished, have approximately 50% of their adult population wrestling with obesity. But it wasn't always this way. Historical records paint a picture of a healthy, fit society of agriculturalists and hunters among the Pima 
during the 19th century. However, the arrival and settlement of colonizers disrupted their lifestyle, triggering a cascade of changes. In their struggle to adapt to the evolving societal structure, the Pima's diet underwent a substantial shift. Refined carbohydrates such as wheat and corn, along with white sugar, cheap, readily available and easy to store, became dietary staples. Regrettably, these foods are leading contributors to insulin resistance. As the Pima endeavored to find their footing in a nation that often marginalized them, they spiraled further into poverty, becoming increasingly dependent on these low-cost food items. This pattern isn't unique to the Pima, but is seen across the United States, particularly in marginalized communities. Struggling with poverty, these groups often rely on inexpensive, refined foods for sustenance, resulting in the highest obesity rates in the least affluent states, like Mississippi. One might wonder, why are foods such as sugar, corn, and wheat cheaper than their healthier counterparts? Part of the answer lies in the U.S. government's agricultural subsidies. A study by the United States Public Interest Research Group in 2011 revealed that an astounding 29% of all subsidies were allocated to corn production, with an additional 12% supporting wheat farmers. These subsidies have effectively lowered the price of refined foods, rendering them more affordable than fresh produce, for instance. As a result, the diets of America's poorest citizens are dominated by these cheap food products, a contributing factor to the prevalent obesity in the nation's less affluent communities. Part 7. The Fat Fallacy Dietary fats are not the enemy, but modified trans fats are. In the latter half of the 20th century, when obesity began to emerge as a significant public health concern, a seemingly logical conclusion was drawn. Excessive weight gain was due to an overconsumption of fats. However, this widely accepted theory was flawed. In reality, most dietary fats are not detrimental to health. Despite the pervasive belief in the unhealthy nature of fats, counter-evidence has been around for quite some time. Take, for example, a 1948 study carried out by Harvard scientists in Framingham, Massachusetts. The researchers were well aware of the link between heart disease and high cholesterol, but sought to uncover the root cause of elevated cholesterol levels. Their initial hypothesis pointed at dietary fat as the guilty party. However, the study's findings quickly debunked this theory, revealing no correlation between the consumption of significant amounts of dietary fats and heightened cholesterol levels. Despite these findings, the preconceived notion that fats were the main culprits was so deeply ingrained that scientists outright rejected the results of their own research. When another team of researchers published a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1981, again indicating a negligible correlation, they astonishingly ignored their data and arrived at the opposite conclusion. In today's world, there is little dispute over the validity of these early studies, even though their authors initially struggled to accept them. So does this mean dietary fats can be consumed without a second thought about health? Not quite. There's always an exception, and in this case, it's the modified trans fats. You may have heard of saturated fats, named so because their molecules are filled with hydrogen, making them less likely to spoil compared to polyunsaturated fats. While most vegetable oils are naturally polyunsaturated, products derived from them, such as margarine, are artificially saturated to extend their shelf life. 
Hence, they are referred to as modified trans fats or hydrogenated vegetable oils. These fats may be beneficial for product longevity, but a wealth of evidence advises against their consumption. For instance, a 1990 Dutch study concluded that modified trans fats increase bad cholesterol and decrease good cholesterol. A subsequent study reinforced these findings, indicating a 23% rise in the risk of heart disease for every 2% increase in the intake of modified trans fats. Part 8. Curbing sugar consumption lessens obesity risk and coffee isn't as detrimental as perceived. At this juncture, you might be contemplating what all these insights mean for your dietary choices, what should be on your plate and what should be left out. The core message here is this. The primary adversary isn't dietary fat, it's sugar. By trimming your sugar intake, you'll significantly diminish your risk of obesity. Let's delve deeper into this sweet yet treacherous dietary component. Sugar induces a couple of processes that heighten the probability of obesity and associated complications. Firstly, it escalates your insulin levels, leading to insulin resistance over time, predominantly in your liver. This is attributable to the fructose content in sugar or sucrose, which can only be absorbed by the liver. Consuming excessive amounts of fructose overwhelms the liver, compelling it to convert the fructose into fat. Consequently, this increases the likelihood of insulin resistance and disrupts healthy digestive functions. If there's anything worse than sugar for your health, it's high fructose corn syrup. Unlike regular sugar, composed equally of glucose and fructose, high fructose corn syrup is exclusively fructose, hence the name, making it an even greater burden on your liver. Thus, if you're keen on reducing your susceptibility to obesity, start by eliminating sugar from your diet. However, remember to be vigilant. Sugar often lurks in the most unsuspecting products. Be sure to scrutinize labels and steer clear of items high in sugar or containing high fructose corn syrup. Managing your health isn't always about foregoing indulgences. Here's the good news. Coffee isn't harmful. It may seem perplexing, given the continual debates on the alleged harmful effects of caffeine. Yet, Empirical evidence supports this claim. Consider a 2005 study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, which posited that coffee offers more benefits than drawbacks, attributing it to its rich content of antioxidants that delay cell aging, and magnesium, which bolsters bone and heart health. Subsequent studies in 2008 and 2012 also correlated coffee consumption with a lower risk of type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's disease. Nonetheless, it's advisable not to overdo your Java intake as these findings aren't conclusive. Therefore, weight loss isn't about drastically curtailing calories and intensifying exercise. The real game changer lies in reducing the consumption of foods that elevate your insulin levels, particularly sugars and refined carbohydrates, and putting a stop to perpetual snacking. Final summary. The primary takeaway from this discussion is this. Obesity has grown into a prominent public health issue in the developed world and continues to escalate. However, decades of conventional wisdom have misdirected us, suggesting that rapid weight loss and eschewing dietary fats are the solutions. 
In reality, obesity is fundamentally a genetic concern closely tied to insulin levels. The actual culprits aren't fats per se, but specific types of fats, modified trans fats, and highly processed carbohydrates and sugars, which trigger insulin resistance. By limiting these in your diet, you significantly reduce your risk of obesity and associated health complications. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.